0: Deep source, stock market news, we go deeper. Stocks tumbled today after Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell admits to an affair with Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. When asked about the scandal, Powell says, her box is a lot like the credit markets today, dried up. Deep source, stock market news. We go deeper. What's up, Matt? So we committed to have the everyday man on this show, Seniors 94. And I uh, ran into my neighbor in the park. Apparently he got shit canned. I was like, hey, man, come talk about it on the podcast. And so we have Tony, Lance's neighbor, on this week's episode. We just interviewed him yesterday. What would you think?
1: Well... Uh to define Tony as the everyday man, I didn't I didn't get that that uh, vibe from him. He's he's a character.
0: Yeah, he he is. He uh in a good had way. a midlife yeah. midlife crisis in his twenties and went and worked on a boat. Where'd he say he worked on it? Like St. Thomas in the Virgin Islands. Virgin Islands, okay. Like this dude is
1: on a journey, man. He's on a he's yeah. on a journey.
0: Yeah, so hopefully we captured that. Uh he was—he uh, had some intensity behind his words. He had just gotten uh, laid off. No, actually, was it fired or laid off? I couldn't tell. I think it was fired, which I don't know what the, the
1: modern 2024 definition of fired, but I think it was fired. Um, yeah, I wonder. I don't know how no, how well you know him. Which also, by the way, if you're out there listening, you're like, I want to say, some, talk some shit on the show. Let Tony be your guide. Some of the other people we have, we we've known and stuff, but like you can come on here and and talk about your issues. It's okay. Right? You don't have yeah. to be like I want to entertain. Uh but I wonder, I don't know how well you know him, like wh- where do you think he is and like with all this like like after listening to him, like in his life.
0: I think he's seriously contemplating reinventing himself and he's comfortable with that. Is what I gathered. Do you
1: think the personality that our listeners are going to hear and what we heard, uh, like I, I see him as a driven, intense dude, like for after talking to him for an hour, do you, do you think that's really him or he's in kind of a state of like licking his wounds about the job and really in a place where he can go, you know what, I got to figure out what, what the fuck I'm going to do myself. Like what's the real Tony? I think we found it, but what do you think?
0: Yeah. I'm going to go with driven and, and intense and, uh, you know, he's not gonna sit and self reflect with a joint for six months to try to figure out who he is. I think he's just yeah. gonna do shit. I'd probably be more of the guy that kicks it in the mountains for six months going, Who am I? So it was yeah. kinda of, it was nice to get a different style. Have you ever
1: I've never gone through that, dude. I've never been fired. I've been laid off because of corporate decisions and I don't know what's better, man. Like what I liked about it is the dude, I like the fact that I think we'll see how, how the, I don't, what I remember is he's like almost offended because he takes pride in his work. Mm -hmm. And I've never been in that situation, but I don't know what's better because when you're fired, at least it's like a passionate thing, you know? When you get laid off, it just gives you more more like you're like, God damn, why why am I in this cycle? Like it me mean, it means nothing. Like all of a sudden when you get laid off, everything you work for it just means nothing and it gives you less faith and humanity and the corporate structure. Right. Fired is like a contentious thing where you can be like, Those people are fuck them, they're idiots, they made a bad decision. Right. You know? Which he and was. I, which yeah. is where he's at. So
0: Yeah. I've never been fired. I, I'll tell you in college I had a job delivering ice and the owner of the company
1: i honest to god remember this i think
0: you remember really this sure. the owner yeah. of the company's son worked there and he was a little d-bag and uh at one point he was throwing ice and i like pushed him the kid he's my age we were oh, in college okay. it wasn't like a eight year old no around no there. he was yeah. my age but then but then uh he squared up at me after like I pushed him cuz he was throwing ice at my head while I was loading my truck. So I'm like, what? I'm like, bro, stop. But he's the son of the owner. <laughs> he squares up at me. He squares up on me and and I just go, fuck it. And I just blast this kid twice <laughs> in his face and the all the like you got to imagine it's like a loading dock and it's like a very diverse setting and dudes are like, "Ah, damn! <laughs> oh, hell no. Yeah. It was. Uh, so this is a point where I thought I was going to get fired. And apparently the dad was like, he needed that.
1: <laughs> wow.
0: And it was like, it just kept going on with the rest of my summer job. Did but he
1: keep and ice at you or did he, did he no. take it easy? No. Did you guys ever, did you ever get back to like, all right, man, we're cool. We needed that. Or was it like, fuck you, fuck you. And that's how the summer went. He just avoided me but you know he needed that that's so funny dude isn't that funny i haven't it will actually i'm i get the idea that tony would like to do what you did you did to that kid to some of the people (laughs) that that fired him or challenged him on his art directing skills and uh i've never been fired but i have i've had bad auditions in stand-up and either even for for uh like trying to get on tv and and every time it's always after like some long, like oh, i gotta drive or fly to chicago or one of them one of them happened in columbus ohio it's like a six hour drive to get there do a mediocre show and have this guy who books like 30 clubs across the country tell you like you know you, you obviously know how to do jokes and you're you just listen to him talk himself into the the rejection and you immediately just like oh fuck, here it comes here it comes yeah and I did exactly what Tony did. I well, I don't know if he did this, but you start to question that guy's intelligence, the audience's intelligence. I remember the dude was wearing a turtleneck, and this was like after turtlenecks. I think it was like maybe two thousand nine. I was like, he's still doing a turtleneck. That I, I immediately started cri- <laughs> criticizing him for that, and he goes, "Dude, you I gotta I have a roster of people. You're you're funny." But I need you to hit like you absolutely have to hit a home run to bump somebody because nobody just deserve like the people I have don't deserve to get bumped, and you did really well but you didn't hit a home run, and and uh, uh, and, I, and then you're like, well, I'm it's fucking Wednesday night at six o'clock in Columbus, Ohio. No one's hitting a home like I. You start making excuses and sure, he was probably right. I might not have been ready, but but uh, that was that was rejection, man. And I just had to drive home and question everything. And, uh, and in, in the end, I probably wouldn't have been able to take all his bookings anyways, but, but like, so anything I said probably within two weeks about stand up comedy or about my act or about everything, that guy or other comics or why they get booked, you know, it got all bitter and purse mm-hmm. was just nonsense. And so right. I was in no state to really make any, any groundbreaking decisions and and tying that to tony he's probably in the same boat like he needs to be himself and attack it like like you said but he probably needs to step back a little bit and then i i need to you know i need to keep going on the path i'm on because i'm in the same same sort of rejected state on a couple different things and and i think maybe sheila and a couple of our guests a couple of my friends are like yeah just take it easy wait as long Mm -hmm. as you can before you do anything drastic and and, but I, again, the other side is that it's only going to get you so far, right? Like you still got to go through the process and you got to come out of it. But, uh, I don't know. Yep. So, so listen to someone like Tony made me think about a lot of these other conversations we had. And I think Tony's a psychopath, complete lunatic. And, uh, I would love to have him <laughs> back on because I think he's on the edge of, of, uh, he mentioned he wants to be the next David Koresh, uh, the, the guy in the Waco oh. compound, the nineties that, that, uh. Sounds like David Koresh at least went out like getting laid. He had like 300 mistresses, and like maybe he's right, dude. Maybe he's right.
0: Yeah. And he compared himself to Tom Brady, which I thought was bold.
1: Are we, I don't know if we're, if we're, if this conversation's going before or after our guests listen to him, but I hope at least one listener enjoys my Jeff George reference. Like, I don't care about anything else, actually. I, I hope anyone gets a kick out of that dude and uh
0: yes,
1: that's it but i don't know what what we're trying to do with the show always but i still value <laughs> the fact of having, having no shit having the range bro and having someone like tony on there be interesting I, either he can come back on or you're his neighbor you can let us know what he what he chose i be interested where he where he goes with it
0: for sure i will uh i will double check his life every month All right. Well, I hope, I hope everyone enjoys
1: and, uh, you know, you got anything going on for our listeners? Any big announcements, Lance?
0: No, sir. Just, uh, pouring over this podcast. Actually I do. The, I thought the first commercial would be interesting from a religious Costa Rican perspective for last week, the bye-bye baby since everybody's pro pro Uh, pro-life down there. Was that, so was that a, was that a, you wanna walk
1: our listeners through the thought process on that? There was
0: no no acknowledgement of pro-life, pro-choice, but now that okay. I think about it and defending it, I, I wanted to acknowledge.
1: Yeah, if you don't acknowledge like any of that, it's just a, uh, it's just a commercial about killing babies, like with, with no political point or anything else.
0: Right, <laughs> which is what pro-choice people wanna do, right guys?
1: Oh, here we go. Kill here babies. Hey, we only have eight listeners, Lance. Try not to alienate four of them. No with your stance no. on a board. I thought it was really.
0: great. I just thought it was it was funny. It was one of those ones that's like, aha, yeah, this one's so stupid. I love it. So anyway. <laughs> that one threw me off a little bit, actually. I because
1: I didn't I had we don't by the way, we never talk about the commercials, so I listen to them when our guests do. And I didn't I had no idea where you were going with that. And then and then actually you what we come to find out as listeners is you weren't going anywhere with it. It was literally bye-bye, baby. Like you didn't bring it back with, oh, no, the service is something else. Nope. It's just disposals <laughs> of disposing your babies.
0: I know. <laughs> that was That's it. exactly right. That's why it's a gem. Frugal Fuck Shampoo. Frugal Fuck Shampoo bottles last three years. You are a frugal fuck. I need my coffee, ho. Welcome to the Middle Age Man News and Trends. Matt, our first article comes from Kristen McKenna and Forbes Magazine or Forbes Online. A study from the Urban Institute tracked more than 20,000 adults over the age of 51 for a period of 25 years to identify trends in employment. The findings revealed that over half of full-time workers over the age of 50 experienced involuntary employer-related job separation. This staggering figure doesn't even include employees who had to leave their jobs to take care of a sick family member or to their own health. Both of those factors together include roughly two-thirds of individuals over the age of 50. That's a lot of people. Matt, you're 47. What are you doing today to ensure professional success in your 50s? Uh, Skincare, taking
1: care of my skin, so no one knows how old I am. It's not working. Look like we're 30, pound like we're 23, bro. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I can't get a job, not because of my age, because of stupid shit like that, that's why. (laughs) Because your words, Matt, your words. You think in my interviews where I keep saying I use the Twitter is is uh is making people want to hire me or is <laughs> that alienate me? I do the text. I've been doing text. <laughs> I'm tech savvy. That's that's usually what I say in my interviews.
0: I think your insensitivity to equity, inclusion, diversity stuff will probably go far. You know. Yeah. That will be attractive. Dude. I'm gonna, I'm coming
1: out there for the world to hear. I get to an application, I get to the point where I have to put my pronouns in, and I feel like, uh, I don't know, a ninety-year-old burning a cross in someone's front yard. No, I just feel like, uh, why do I have to do this? I, it's like I don't care what what you're doing, but I don't know why I have to put that on the on the application my pronouns
0: boo fucking who matt we'll save that for another episode because that could be interesting uh let's move yeah, on yeah now. it's just not a not a neg- negative thing
1: i just i'm like what it's just like so weird to me that you have to put it on there same with race to be honest with you but uh all righty here we go man we had it rolling for a while until i went there burning cross we'll cut it no you won't you fucking never cut it <laughs>
0: Moving on, this next article comes from Harvard Business Review, Sally Matles. Job loss is one of life's most stressful events. And Sally Matles has conducted research over 10 years to understand how people make it through losing their job. The first challenge, she said, is rethinking your identity. Shout out to episode six, <laughs> She recommends everyone start by working on regulating their emotions. Calm down, Tony. You want to ha- talk to supportive people. You want to focus on mindfulness and maybe some exercise. And once you have your emotions regulated, you can start the process of sense making. With sense making, you want to focus on how your current experience can grow in new directions, not on rehashing your mistakes or limitations. And finally, you want to experiment and integrate by starting with small new experiences and then integrating the ones that feel right into your life. And this is worth reading because this sounds exactly like what you're doing, Matt. You're currently working on reinventing your professional identity right now. Should we rehash episode 16 where you dissed and evaded all of my questions about identity?
1: Yeah, my I have a new identity, Lance. I realize I need to make that change. You can call me Panama Red from here on out, dude. I'm going all in on... Ganja. Uh, come on, Sally, you're better than that. You went to Harvard, apparently. The 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 one thing I'll take away from this is she mentions exercise. And my real therapist, Lance, has told me that and when all else fails, work out. And I've taken that to heart. And that's, that's like the way I'm getting through everything. Because I think what I ultimately want, I kind of rejected weight training and like I just got into running and cardio and basketball and stuff. What I really want is I show up to an interview and for our younger listeners, you're not going to know what I'm talking about, speaking of age discrimination. But I show up to an interview with a phone book. These are these things back in the 80s and 90s that had every number in your your local area in them. And I tear that fucker in half before I even start talking because I've been working out so much. I tear the phone book in half and it's like, all right, where do you want to go with the interview? And and that's like that's good enough for me. That's how no. I handle this.
0: Wasn't this a joke from literally like episode 1, the phone book? Was it episode yeah. 1 or 2? It's also it's, one.
1: it's also a it's also a a cheesy comedy club owner in Tampa who was a former minor league umpire who who used to sit at the end of the bar and tell stories about like his umpiring days, but the stories would just be like, "Ah, oh, man, I had this kid I rung him up, strike three, kid gets an attitude with me. So every time he comes up the rest of the night, what do you think I did? Like, I don't know, Tony. I think his name is Tony too. He had like a name like Tony Diamond. You're like, that can't be a real name. Yeah. No, that's a real <laughs> fucking name. Toupee and everything. What'd you do, Tony? I had to tear the phone book on him which is like when a, when an umpire rings somebody up they like punch him out like this and, and but they do it a little more dramatic like the first naked gun with Leslie Nielsen oh yeah <laughs> and they, so you're ringing the kid up but you're also like almost putting him down you know you're putting a little show to his his strike up and I myself and the other comedian all week like we couldn't stop laughing about about tear the phone book at him and as you can see it's 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 stuck with me man because I, I love the idea. Nobody listened to episode one, dude, so I can make the phone book reference six more times. Nobody cares. Go ahead.
0: Uh, This is off of LinkedIn, a guy named Matthew Schmidt. He says finding a job after the age of 50 can be challenging. He offers three recommendations. Number one, tailor your job search strategy to highlight your valuable experience to the current market needs. Number two, utilize your professional network to access the broader job market. Number three, prepare thoroughly for interviews. Matt, this prompt is total shit. I'm going to read it like I think it's great. Matt, I might have mistakenly applied for switchboard operator had I not read this because I didn't know you should have tried to appeal to current market trends. What would we do without Mr. Schmidt's recommendations? Oh. I am a horrible writer.
1: Then you actually crushed it. <laughs> that, that made me laugh as much as anything today. Switchboard <laughs> operator. That's the, it goes back to my phone book thing. Shit that's obsolete. That's like switchboard operator. Those probably were done in like 1965. Your race is run, dude. Start drinking. That's that's at 52 or whatever. You race your run, get back into booze. Uh, that's my advice, Matthew. That, that's what these are like. I haven't had a drink in 13 months. This article makes me want to go like fucking unchain the vodka and uh, and just just drowned. Thanks, Matthew. <laughs> like the only way I'm gonna get oh, to 52 yeah. is I drink my way into looking looking like a 52 year old in the next three months. That's, that's the goal, dude.
0: Middle-aged man, news and trends. Middle-aged man, news for you. All right, welcome to Seniors 94 Men's Room. We got Tony, Lance's neighbor, on the podcast today. Tony, um, what do you do for work? What kind of work do you do, man?
2: First, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm a, a graphic artist, illustrator, and... Uh, at a professional level, uh, art director.
0: Now, I saw you in the park, park right by our house the other day, last week, and you said, Lance, Lance. And then you said, I just got shit canned. And it was uh, kind of an emotional situation because it was fresh. Uh, And that's what we're here to talk about. We want to get an idea of like, what happened there? How are you feeling as somebody who's in their 50s? What do you think about getting a job? moving forward.
2: Well, let me, let me preface by saying, you know, this is my second position as art director with, uh, with uh, two different companies in the last two years. And, um, I used to work in corporate America for over 10 years. I was uh, art director with a candy company, Mm -hmm. very successful tenure with them. Um, And then I took four or five years off when I got divorced, to kind of be really a, a daily, day-to-day parent for my kids who were pretty young at the time. They were four and eight when I got divorced. Um and then a couple of years ago I got serious about trying to reenter the job market mm-hmm. and really uh got a first ta a first hand taste in how difficult that can be to someone that's in their fifties who has left their corporate profession for a number of years and how challenging it gets it is to get back in. And then so uh A couple of years ago, I got a position with what's called a CPG company, Consumer Packaged Goods. I was doing a lot of packaging design and print and digital advertising. And that company went through a restructuring and I got laid off after nine months with that company. And I was unemployed for um, about
0: six months before I found this latest gig. What'd you do in this? Sorry to interrupt. What'd you do in the six months?
2: A lot of job searching, you know, I really reactivated my LinkedIn profiles, Indeed profiles. I buffed out my resume. I uh, reached out to colleagues for letters of recommendation. Um, and I got, you know, I really turned on the uh, the job search engine thing online full force because uh, I, I really feel like I've got a few years of really strong productivity left in me. And I've got you know kids coming up now, my oldest is gonna be in college soon, so there's always the need to have more money mm-hmm. uh you know, I had the reasons to get back in the job market I had the the bandwidth and the capacity and and I've done entrepreneurial work my whole career i you know had a healthy freelance stable of clients, but I really wanted to get back into uh to uh, an in house design position because the other part of it is I really like moving the needle for A brand or group of brands um i enjoy the uh the accomplishment this is
0: sounds like a job interview here you're selling me man
1: no that's important though right like he'd like the fact you just said you like you actually like your job which is a different perspective than lance and i've been coming from for a while you you like what you do right
2: yeah and i gotta say you know you know being a, a graphic artist and an illustrator and art director for a career is a pretty fun career so i've never been one of these guys that hates my career oh i can't you know stand selling insurance or I'm so, you know, sick of working this uh, paper pushing type job. Mm-hmm. I've always really enjoyed what I do. Um, but I think it's, it's natural for someone and you guys chime in here as you get, you know, you get older and you get better at what you do. You, you look for that sense of accomplishment and you know, and where can I work? What role can I step into and absolutely crush it and just hit a bunch of home runs? Mm-hmm. Because it's self-validating, right? Sure. Well, that's that's great. Uh, what, well, by the way, I don't
1: know what is a for the layman. What is an art director like? Because it sounds like you're almost managing a product, like a, the visual side of a product launch. Is that kind of what you're doing, or what is that?
2: Yeah, you know, you you uh, you manage and direct all things that are that are consumer-facing for a company, whether that be their uh, their social media content, their website, uh, their their print and digital advertising, uh, packaging for products, trade show design and implementation, uh, event sponsorship, um, corporate uh, partnerships and promotions, all of those types of things require someone who is, is doing the brand stewardship for the brand behind the scenes to make sure that the messaging is consistent across all those types of touch points.
1: Is that a, is that a young man's game? Like, because it's creative?
2: It's both. You know, it's a young man's game to get into, but the, the more experienced, like any most other careers, the more experienced that you are, the better you get at it. The, the more intuitive you are with your understanding of market dynamics, the quicker you can pick up the nuances of a new company or a new brand or a new product category. And you get to a point where you bring more to bear in the profession, but there is, I think, a point... Uh, in your career, where it starts to be diminishing returns, and I kind of feel like I'm in that point right now because, to an extent, Matt, your question, it it it's it can be a young man's game depending on the the uh, the lifestyle of the brand you're working with. Mm-hmm. Some brands trend younger than others. Um, you know, like uh, I can't imagine being a sixty year old art director working for Red Bull, you know, and trying to manage action. Sports athlete relationships, you know, unless you're covered in tattoos and, you know, you wear your pants down around your ass and everything is baggy (laughs) and, you know, I mean, you part of it is is the business acumen and part of it is the lifestyle and the look Mm -hmm. you have to fit image, right? Yeah, you have to fit the corporate culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and your image needs to to be on point depending on who you're working with and and I feel in my last gig where I, I was dismissed after my cursory 90 day instruction period I felt like there was potentially some ageism involved because I worked uh, I was definitely the oldest person on the marketing team most of my colleagues were in their 30s um, I can't think of anybody I worked with directly that was in their 40s even and you know here I am kind of an older guy um, but I bring a younger vibe and Thought I was, you know, doing really well, but at the end of the day, um, my perception of my job performance was not the perception I was met with from the people that I report to, and there was a, there was a real disconnect there. And so here we are. Well, is that a blessing then? Like, also, I would like to go on the
1: record. But I think we can all agree. Everyone I've ever met in their thirties sucks. So I can feel your pain. Uh, do you? Do you? Oh, also, I want to mention. You mentioned that we why the people selling insurance always get shit on like if, if you make a reference to a to a like a hapless job the reference is always the guy selling insurance I'm sure there's happy there's happy uh insurance sales agents out there my grandpa was one he did well he got a pension lived in florida the last 20 years of his life uh but you like it almost sounds like a blessing though like like you like what you did but you uh you're kind of that situation didn't sound that great. Like you feel there's some age ageism and like there was some shit going on there that maybe, or am I reading too much into it or, or, uh,
2: well, I would say a bit, you know, I didn't feel that I was tremendously out of place because I think I do come across a lot younger, um, than I do up, than I, than I look right. Uh, and I'm 57, but, um, I didn't feel necessarily out of place as much as I just recognized the reality that no one was in my, you now, I wasn't working with anybody born in the 60s or maybe even the 70s. So there was definitely a gen- generational uh, uh, gap there. But the business industry I was working with, which was uh, cannabis marketing, um, is not something that I'm entirely unfamiliar with. I mean, I smoked enough weed in college and, and in my early the 20s and 30s to uh, to be able to identify with anybody in that kind of workspace, you know. Uh, so it wasn't, uh, that I didn't understand the product category or the nuances of the job or anything like that. But the reality was that I was actually much older than, um, definitely than the two guys I reported to. The director of marketing was probably in his early, very early thirties, uh, maybe even late Hmm. twenties. And, uh, the, the vice president of the division was also a super young guy, um, who also I wasn't really Actually, never really understood what the guy did to get his paycheck, but there we go.
0: Couple pussies. <laughs> yeah,
2: let's let's cut to it. What what happened? Did you do you already
1: say that? Like, I know you lost your job. Was this a, just a numbers game, or like what actually happened? I don't know if you want to talk about
2: it, but uh, like, what happened there? You know, my my position re- requires a lot of technical expertise in uh, design applications, uh, like Adobe Photoshop and Illustrator. And um, they basically wanted me to be able to do two jobs, uh, two full-time jobs at the same time, one being the art director and the other one being a a full-time videographer, which I'm not capable of doing those two things at once. Um, And I tried to explain to them that um, they they weren't happy with my videography skills, but I wasn't hired to be a full-time videographer. And as an art director, that's typically one of those kind of things that, you hire the videographer <clears throat> and then you direct their work. You direct the the creative brief, the input to what you want them to mm-hmm. to execute, and then you direct the post production to uh, to see that to, to make sure that the, the deliverable is meets your expectations. And so I have a lot of experience doing that. I've I've art directed commercial video shoots uh, all across the country um, in partnership with ESPN X Games and. Um, uh, and Six Flags and uh, big, big corporate sponsorships, as well as high-level commercial shoots in New York um, and L.A., and so I have a lot of experience in art directing, but I'm not the kind of guy who's going to sit here and and uh, do the grunt work of editing videos, which is uh, a very tedious and specialized skill. One that was not requested in the uh, job profile in the job posting it wasn't um, required that i be um, a full-time editor or have high-level editing skills but in the end of the day that's why i was terminated um even though i can edit video and i did do edit video but i i can't do that full-time and also be a art director for a 500 million dollar company full-time
0: mm-hmm.
2: so when lance lance met you in the park you feel like you
1: got almost betrayed, like lied to about what position they wanted you for and what they actually wanted a little bit.
2: Something like that. On point, Matt, absolutely. I feel like I was misled and they I was I feel like I was very straightforward with them in the job application process and um that uh my skill set was uh well defined going in and that I lived up to everything in the job posting that was on my plate. I had mad success with the different brands I was managing uh, made some big organizational strides inside the company with uh, with regard to the different brands that I was taxed tasked with uh, stewarding and um, that that was largely ignored because they didn't think that I could output the kinda of video level of video they were looking for and one of the big sticklers is they didn't even have an actual camera to shoot the video with I was asked to use a uh, my own equipment that i that's not suited for high level video production, and so but that also feel like I was kind of set up to fail. And to circle back to the larger macro kind of view of this, it was a really it was it was uh, a job I was really excited about. It was really in a cool business sector, and I feel like like if I had been given the right equipment and the right opportunity uh, that I could really have made great strides for this company. Um, but I feel like you know they uh, they were a little premature in letting me go and um, without really understanding the technical difficulties behind what they were asking and the fact that you know if you don't have high level high quality uh, equipment you're not going to get a high quality product and we didn't have uh, we didn't have any I had no camera at my disposal um, provided by the company so I was forced to use uh, what in my what I turned to subpar equipment, so um, there's no way to get, you know, it's kind of like quality in, quality out, and there was really no way to achieve th- their expectations with um, with what I was uh, working with, kind of set up to fail.
1: Dude, as your new friend here, I would say congratulations and fuck them. Sounds like it's a blessing once we can land on our feet. So, oh Lance, what do you? He, Tony mentioned like you got to fit the look. What do, where do you see him at? Like, what product do you think his face would fit with as far as marketing director? It's Kind of rugged. I could see him selling like fleece jackets, maybe uh, something like, like that. A brewery. Yeah, brewery would be good. Little healthy for like the Marlboro man, but it is a rugged look. You should you could think about that. Like, uh, yeah, brewery. I I thought you'd probably fit in good with the the pot thing. Like, you're not too. Uh, you don't look like a full-blown fish head stoner, but you could you could fit the vibe. I I thought that would yeah. Been. I thought I
2: you know I thought I could I thought I could blend in well enough. You know I mean I definitely speak the lingo. Um, I I probably have an old smoking device somewhere in a box in my garage that I you know that I have retained for decades. You
1: you're too you're too young for elderly products. I would say like you you can't yeah. you can't be the
2: depends pitch man yet. Insure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're hair good. replacement products, there's a lot of that going on. But I think, uh, you know, to, to frame the conversation that I think what I'd love to get your input from you guys is, you know, once you get to this level in your, your say, the second half, of your 40s or your 50s, do you feel it's going to be um, difficult to get back into uh, a corporate environment? Lance, this would be a good question for you because I know you've stepped away from corporate life for a while. Are you concerned about... Uh, getting down the road and deciding you'd like to get back in, and that there's going to be some barriers to to reentering the workforce at a professional level where you think you're going to make, um, you know, a decent enough salary to make it worthwhile. And and what do you see the obstacles potentially there?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I do want to answer your question, maybe with another question. But you're we're all told that that's going to be the the situation that there there will be ageism and and. That you maybe need to adjust your resume or adjust your your vibe in order to to fit into a younger culture. So when you were off the first six months, when you were revamping your LinkedIn and all that stuff, just psychologically, were you thinking about your age? Were you like taking off like older experience to to look like you had a younger vibe? And was that was that a tip? okay? You were doing that. Did you get advice to do that, or did you know to do that?
2: I, I did actually. I have a buddy who's also kind of in my boat. He's a couple of years younger than me, but he's looking to re-enter the professional workforce, and he's in um, he was in a high level food sales type business. yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And he had gone to a resume consultant, and the resume consultant told him to take all dates off of your resume. So, in other words, you know you don't put the date you graduated college, you don't put your previous work experience from two thousand and six to two thousand and ten. You just put the number of years you worked for that company. So
0: now, now let me ask this because, like, how do you feel? Like, here's the question is how do we feel about that? Because, like, I've had a ton of experience. You've had a lot of varied life experience. And am I really going to believe that some younger little fuck is going to do a better job than me? And this is the, this is really the rub. Like, what do you feel?
2: I don't necessarily think so. I mean, I know the, the skill set that I have to have to, for someone to, to get the kind of jobs that I'm going after, you have to have a really broad skill set, and it's going to be difficult uh, to find that experience and that skill set um, in someone who's in their 20s. And I would say even someone that's in their 30s, maybe you're going to start to see that because you have to have a high level of proficiency in uh, graphic design and in brand management. Um, and increasingly, because of the need for social media in my profession, you do need to be able to do video editing and motion graphics and understand uh, the different uh, social media platforms and how they integrate with each other Sure. and how content has to be specifically designed for, say, YouTube versus Instagram versus LinkedIn versus Facebook. And you have to have that kind of uh, institutional knowledge around these different platforms but you also have to be able to execute for these platforms um, and I think actually I do that all at a really really high level um, but I'm not uh, at this point I'm not the uh, I'm not the kinda of guy who wants to get in there and do the grunt work um, or the production art that you pay that you know 20 or 30 year old kid to sure. do full-time most companies nowadays have a dedicated social media strategist they have dedicated videographers. Uh, sure. They might even have dedicated copywriters. Um, as an art director, you're expected to do all those things pretty well, but you're certainly expected to be able to manage vendors and other uh, um, contractors to do those things at a high level. And that's, that's kind of the difference between um, an art director and somebody who is just a full-time production artist or a full-time videographer or a full-time... Uh, social media strategist, because now this the, the the workplace in our world has changed. Um, social media strategist was not a job twenty years ago. Sure. And only ten years ago did that sort of become a, a, a necessary component to a successful marketing team. Now it's a okay. mandatory component.
0: Why is why is your age a problem then?
2: Well, I don't necessarily think it is, but. Um, from my perspective, because I feel young and i I've got uh, a fantastic port- portfolio and a really strong resume and a lot of experience, and I've hit um, a lot of home runs in every company I've ever worked for. you know, I think I've always been kind of considered that franchise quarterback um, in a lot of ways. but um I also do realize that the Jeff George of art director
1: i'll I'll call you yeah right.
2: the Jeff George.
1: Who the hell is that? Exactly. Google him. He was a he was a he was a promising young quarterback out of University of Illinois, I think, had a great arm, and then sucked in the NFL. But he was he was he was fastest to if you ever watch NFL films, he was fastest from helmet to hat. Like third and long incompletion. Next shot is him in a ball cap on the sideline. Like that's what he did special. But uh, anyways, go ahead.
2: I, I would probably consider, compare myself more to Tom Brady. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. See, I was just setting you up. I was setting you up to say that, yeah. But, you know, you can look at somebody like that who's had – who you know, look at Tom Brady. He he functioned at a very high level for a very long time and was, you know, considered the GOAT. But at the same time, um, you know, you look at the dual-threat quarterbacks that are popular right now in college and NFL, and he was never that, and he was never going to be that. He was never going to become – the dual threat quarterback who could really pick up the twenty yard first down with his legs. Uh, yep. He was, you know, Tom Brady was sort of a one trick pony, but he did it at such a high level that it didn't matter that he didn't have the wheels to do anything outside the pocket. What's all that
1: football mean to art director? Like you're you you're uh, like a jack of all trades, or have a have like you you felt like you're a leader, I guess, when you compare yourself to Tom Brady
2: both of those, you know, I think I executed at a really high level. I, uh, you know, I definitely had some, some, uh, big victories, uh, against tough opponents, you know, to, to use a sports metaphor, just really, um, you know, crushing creative output under tight deadlines. You know, that's, that's my version of a fourth quarter, uh, you know, last minute rally to win the game. Um, but you know, now that I'm on the other side of this last visit position, I, I still look back and go, "Wow, you know is my time done? do I need is Is there new software? are there new design apps that I need to um,
0: mastermind, or is that even going to make a difference because yeah, do you really think it's skill based? I mean, that's what I was getting at I, I like what if you were an employer, what would be your concerns of hiring somebody older?
2: I think a part of it is skill-based because you know one of the things that's that's moving quickly in our world right now in our professional world, and I think in any profession, is technology. Um, in my profession, you know, I gotta say I never thought I'd see the day when AI could do what I do. I never thought I'd see the day when AI could could create a high-end uh, photo composite like something I could uh, output in. Photoshop or or a three-dimensional package mock-up or even the base creative concept of developing a really high-end logo for a brand, Mm -hmm. but now I see AI doing all of that and so I look at ourselves, um, I look at anybody that's in their 40s and 50s um, that that uh, who has kind of what I would call a legacy skill set and I can see challenges coming from all fronts with AI in creative endeavors like I'm in, but but what? Think about how that would also apply to somebody who's in um, an actuarian type analytics for an insurance company or something like that, where you're really just crunching numbers, you're you're putting together algorithms to evaluate risk. I think AI is coming for all of us now, mm-hmm. and maybe is one of the last bastions of that, um, the safe place, a podcast. <laughs> you know, that
1: maybe not, dude. Maybe not.
2: That's uh, actually what our friend, one of our other guests,
1: Andrew, who write, who's a, a comic that writes you know, he writes adver- advertisements. One of his jet gigs, and he said, "Copywriter, yeah, probably fleeting, right? Like it's going that business might go away."
2: I mean, definitely. We already, we already got into the position. You know, sometimes I would use AI to generate um, an, a background image for an advertisement because AI could do it faster than I could create it. Uh, myself manually using um, you know stock photography and Photoshop so um, I I try to embrace those tools when when possible and when necessary but AI is definitely changing the landscape I think for a lot of professions and I think you either gotta uh, use it or risk being irrelevant in today's job market. AI is everywhere um and uh, something i certainly recognized uh and maybe you know i'm my my job my profession might be obsolete in 10 or 15 years and and it might be one of hundreds or thousands of professions that are taken over by ai um and i don't think that's necessarily a good thing and i think there's there's not just a a a workforce impact there but i think there's going to be a psychological impact uh, among people in the workforce, when they start to feel like, "Hey, my job is you know becoming obsolete because you know AI now can do what I do," and um, there's there's a psychological impact because you you don't feel useful and you feel like, "Oh, I've learned all these skills, but now a computer can do that stuff that I thought was really specialized," and so now maybe I don't feel like I have such uh, um, an integral place in society and in our economy anymore. Um, I guess this, you know, we're kind of getting in deep here, but this is sort of one of the, the deep rooted fears that I look at. And I'm like, well, I got to get into, you know, I got to establish a foothold in the workforce now because it's only going to be harder in five years. And, you know, like I said, how long, how long before AI can be programmed? To sit in these three chairs right now and have a hypothetical conversation that gets published as a pod- podcast. Now AI would do
1: much better, so I'm looking forward to it, uh, <laughs> actually. But Tony, I know Lance has some questions, but I just want to. So you're obviously knowledgeable about what you're doing. You, you're a passionate guy. Uh, I have I my in my head, everyone I've known that's in like graphic design or art, they originally got into it because they're actually either had a passion for art actual art or we're good at it is is maybe the thing for you as you uh you you mentioned that you think you're you might you might be you're not you don't plan on working forever you're you're at the more, more the end of your career in the beginning is the answer like tap into the creative side regardless of all this other office political bullshit and stuff you're in age just like you like either a personal project or project where you're like This is why I got in this to begin with—to to to be an artist, to be creative. Is that is that maybe something that? uh, Because I know for me, I'm in the same boat as you, trying to figure out what I'm going to do with myself. And I know that it's got to be. I mean, the podcast quenches a little bit of the thirst, but like, I need something to feel like, all right, this is who I am. And I have a feeling like you're also a creative guy. Like that seems like you might—that's where you started. You think that's uh, maybe where you should look? I know it all goes hand in hand, but.
2: I think it's a great question. And, you know, I think to, to, to reframe that simply, is it time to reinvent myself? Yeah, yeah. And I've done that a couple of times already in my career. I've, I've joked with Lance, you know, that I had my, my first uh, midlife crisis at 29 just because I felt like it was time to get it out of the way early. Mm-hmm. And I, I quit my corporate advertising job and I, I sold most of my possessions and I moved to the Virgin Islands and I got a job on a boat. You know, I stepped away completely from corporate America willingly, with uh with hundred um, percent forethought and intention, and did not regret that. It was one of the best moves I ever made in my life. You know, but then I got I kind of missed that simple, that that sense of accomplishment and that creative outlet and, and getting, um, not just rewarded monetarily for that, but seeing my work output, um, um you know, uh, in in print in production. But it had nothing to do with, sorry, it had nothing to do with art on the boat.
1: You weren't like marketing director for Carnival Cruise. It, it was an actual boat? like, a,
2: like- nah, it was a, it was an excursion vessel in uh, St. Thomas, Virgin Islands. And all we did was pick up people from cruise ships and get them shit-faced and launch them out on a coral reef somewhere to go snorkeling. And then they get back on the boat and you feed them more alcohol. It was honestly one of the funnest jobs you could imagine. You sit on a surfboard, you watch a bunch of... Uh, overweight people off the cruise ship, you know, snorkel around, and then you hand them 151 rum punch as soon as you can to get, when they get back on board. Didn't really make any money. And at <laughs> some point I kind of missed, uh, I missed having uh, a disposable income and uh, I realized what my, what I thought was my first uh, midlife crisis was really just a, a reset to uh to find a different creative outlet professionally and that's and and so eventually I got back in the game.
1: Get back on that
2: fucking boat, Tony. Get back
1: <laughs> right? on the boat, man. You don't need discretion. You don't need you'll find your solution there. I like how you put in the honestly it was one of the best jobs. Yeah, no shit. Yeah, you know it's all it's clearly was the best thing you ever did. Outside oh, man, of the financial dude. thing. Sitting in the Caribbean uh it sounds Yeah, get back there. That's my advice. Yeah. Draw. You can draw. When you come off the ship, you can, like, draw pictures or something to to quench your creative side.
2: Well, ironically, that's how I got back into it. Uh, They had – the boat was called the Wild Thing, and it was a 110-foot power trimaran. So it had three uh, twin V12 Caterpillar caterpillar (laughs) The Wild Thing. And a big logo on the side kind of in this sort of graffiti-style writing that had – uh, had had the ocean had taken its toll on the logo, so they need it repainted. And I was like, well, I could actually just, you know, paint that by hand. So I got into that, um, started painting the boat. And then um, a, another guy in the marina was like, hey, could you paint my boat? And I was like, yeah. So I, For a while, my side hustle was uh, painting um, logos and logotypes, names of boats on the transom of, you know, these fishing God, boats and, and shit like that. That's a good
1: job, but you, that's all AI now.
2: Yeah, no. Well, AI is not going to do that, but it was good because I could sit there and you know, with a drink in one hand and a paintbrush in the other hand, and get paid for it. You know, dude. That was... My God, dude, get your ass back down there. What are you doing?
0: Right? It's got kids, dude.
1: <laughs> they yeah. would love to have a dad in the Caribbean painting boats. They'd be like, "My dad's Michael Jordan, like better than Michael Jordan." They would love it. They wouldn't be able to go to college without taking out a loan. But still, it'd be good. No, I I think uh, that's pretty cool. I mean, that you had that experience, right? Might not have been your life path, but like you need, you need, but it sounds like you need something like that, all joking aside to figure out the next move, like, like an experience that, that puts you, that moves you in a, in a direction, right? Are you, are you thinking just grind it out on job boards and figure it out?
2: Well, I think at that point in time, you know, it was it was a valuable opportunity to reset and to kind of get hungry again as far as, you know, to join the professional workforce again and, you know, to get back into uh, corporate or professional design. And so I don't regret that. And that's not the first time I've stepped away from corporate America. Later years, I, I had my second um, midlife crisis in my mid-30s, you know, because I thought I did so well at it the first time. Might as well just take another crack at it. And, uh, you know, and, and that's one thing, I mean, I've never had any fear about stepping away from, uh, my professional career. Um, because I always knew that I had the skill set to get back in it. I don't necessarily have that much confidence in that perception as I did when I was in my thirties. And I don't know, maybe cause I'm not as hungry as I was back then and maybe I'm not going to get that hungry. You know, as to your point earlier, Matt, maybe it's time for a little reinvention. Um, but I do miss, you know, the, uh, the uh, sense of accomplishment, but I can look around. I mean, I can see, um, you know, for a while I was art director with a candy company and I created a logo for this unmentionable candy company. I don't know if it's important that I mention who it is, but that logo was reproduced oh hundreds of millions of times in the last 20 years globally. So, I mean, I can point to something in my career and go, yeah, I did that. And that's been seen by millions and millions and millions of people. Um, But, you know, that doesn't pay my mortgage next month. Um, That's just something that I did at one point that I'm proud of and uh, I was really successful at. But that doesn't, uh, you know, that doesn't really move the needle tomorrow. Right. And so... Is it time to reinvent? Is it time to learn new skill sets? Is it time to fucking hang it up and say, AI's got this and, um, you know, choose an entirely new career path, retrain for something? Uh, Is it time to go full on, you know, fucking Walter White and just like go underground and, um, you know, start printing uh, counterfeit fentanyl patches in my garage and uh, get in the black market. Uh, I don't know. You know, I don't know right now. I'm, I'm uh, I'm considering a lot of different options and but trying to also look at the market and look at myself objectively and ask am you know am I still marketable in my profession at this age um, and should I expect to be um, or uh, is it just time for something different I mean I think you guys I look at both of you guys and I think it's one th- one thing that's interesting about this conversation is both of you guys have taken this opportunity to kind of reinvent yourselves at your age. I assume you guys are both in your mid forties. Late. Um and, and one of the ways you've done that is to start this podcast and start a discussion around all the different challenges that middle aged men hit. And um and you know, is it time to reinvent? Dude, yeah. I'm an absolute fucking mess.
1: And uh the comfort in that is that I don't have to worry about shit like age discrimination and I don't I don't even know if that exists. I know that I do it. When I when you talk about the presidential choices in the US, I'm like those old fuckers. I, I'm discriminating against them because of age. Uh but I, I'm so in the weeds that I don't I'm not it almost feels good. It feels good that I'm not I don't worry about that stuff. Like I don't think at some point you might get to the point, Tony, you're clearly qualified. Like you're that's not an issue. Your age is an issue. I feel like you're almost like uh, last week with Sheila who said like, it's it's not good to get in a relationship right after a divorce. You're probably still bleeding a little bit from, from what happened. So I think some of your worries will probably go away a little bit and then you really figure out what you, what you're going to do. That's, that's what, that's my take from listening to you for a little while. You're clearly qualified. You're clearly passionate about it. You're obviously good at art. Like I think everything's going to be just fine for you. That's how I feel
2: yeah i don't know if i agree with that uh uh, (laughs) you don't agree good i like it i was gonna say to to the comment about how to get over a divorce is is i don't necessarily agree with that i mean the first thing i i couldn't wait to get into a relationship after my divorce because i felt like i'd been divorced the last two years of my marriage already hey since you're bringing it up though define define what did
1: you want to get into like and i'm not being a an asshole like uh you wanted, cause this probably applies to work too. Like you wanted to feel physical affection. You want the, you want an emotional relationship. Like what do you think you wanted?
2: Absolutely. I mean, you know, a divorce from a romantic partner in, and a divorce from a, a, a job. Uh, those two things carry a lot of similarities because there's a lot of, uh, there's a positive feedback loop in a successful career uh, just like there's a positive feedback loop and a successful romantic relationship. Right. And when you, when you break up with your company or with your, your wife, uh, you know, you've got those, that, that opportunity to say, okay, how many, how quickly am I going to go through my seven stages of grief and get back out there and, you know, look for another job or look for another partner. Now we're in my, back. My, personal, right? my personal experience was, uh, okay, I'm going to go through those seven uh, phases of grief in about 15 minutes and get back out there and that to me as far as my divorce was concerned it was the best thing I possibly could have done I met a a great woman pretty quickly we started dating and it's a huge confidence builder because your 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 confidence takes a hit in a divorce Um, whether or not you feel you're at fault or not you're still one-half of a failed relationship you're one-half of a failure that you have invested countless uh, amounts of effort with time and money and emotional input. And then you're out on your own. And once again, you know, there's that, that's that moment of self reflection. Am I worthwhile? Am I worth being hired again for another position? Am I worth, um, am I worth being a part of a new relationship? Do I bring enough to the table that I'm desirable in that way? And so I feel that there's a lot of parallels there. Um, And, and I think, you know, a lot of, I bet, I think that would probably resonate with a lot of people, um, you know, who go through those things. But that being said, what, you know, we had, I had to go to these divorce classes when I got divorced. It was part of the legal framework of getting divorced in Colorado. You had to complete this course. And one of the first things the instructors told you is, uh, don't date anybody for a year. And I literally, in my head, I was like, fuck that. I mean, I almost got up and walked out of the seminar. I mean, I was, like, completely not buying that bullshit uh, advice, you know. I already knew why my marriage fell apart, um, and not dating was not going to change that. It was just going to force me to wallow in, um, in uh, discontent for a year, you know, watching the calendar until I got the green light from somebody who didn't know anything about me that I should. it was time to start dating again. You know nobody knows your problems as well as you do, and I think in a lot of cases, nobody knows the the ideal solution better than you do right so where are you at in that like paralleling it? where are you at in
1: that seven steps of you you're obviously bitter about the way you left the last the last job right you you still harbor a little bit of bitterness like where do you think you're at if you parallel how you got out, out of the relationship funk?
2: well, you know it's 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 pretty fresh, you know the wound is only a couple of weeks old um and you know it's a little harder because i it's a little it stings a little bit more because i feel really i was the right guy for the position i told the i uh, i requested an exit interview with the company and i told them like you guys screwed up here because i i was i could i could have done all the things that you needed out of me um with a little bit more support and and a little bit um uh of understanding about what the this uh what is necessary in order to get the output that you want from my side of the marketing department. Um, you know, it's not, that's not unlike looking at a marriage and going, well, this marriage could have worked if, um, but, uh, you know, that being said, uh, I'm a little, still a little bit bitter about it because I don't feel like I got the fair shake, but that doesn't change what I'm going to do tomorrow. Um, and that doesn't change at the end of the day. It doesn't change. Um, a whole lot. It doesn't really change my perception of myself or my self-esteem or my confidence level. Those are all fine. It's really just uh, it's just asking, okay, well, do I want to do I want to continue down this road or is it time to get in a new style of relationship um, and um, or a new style of you know whether that's a corporate job, you know, it's the same kind of evaluation coming out of divorce. Um, as coming out of unemployment. Okay, what do I want my next relationship to look like? What do I want my next uh, vocation to look like? A lot of similar questions there. And I'm always uh, a looking looking forward type guy because wallowing in the past and uh, um, feeling sorry for yourself, all that stuff is a fucking waste of time, in my, posi- in my, in my opinion. Um, you don't really accomplish much by doing that. So... Um, you know, you got to look forward. You got you to gotta get yourself out of bed and you make the pot of coffee and um, look forward to what you're going to co- get accomplished the next day.
0: What are your fears though? Like what, if you think about whether you're obsolete in this industry, is, you know, what are your deepest fears with this transition? Is it money? Is it a, a lack of self-worth?
2: I wouldn't say, I, I, I'd say, I would say I don't look at anything really from the perceptive, perception of fear. Uh, there's very, very little about my life that is fear-based. I don't make decisions based on fear. I've, I'm probably overly analytical in that way. That um, I tend to remove emotion from um, from business and from really important decisions. I try to look at things really objectively, and that's that's a skill that is intentional and on and, and purposeful because I find that I make my best decisions, whether those are relationship decisions or creative decisions, when I'm focused and relaxed. And, and if I'm worrying about, um, if, I'm, if I'm in a position of fear, I'm neither focused nor relaxed. And uh,
0: I, I think that... Um, Let's reframe that, Tony. Like, What do you think your core motivators will be then for this next transition?
2: Well, I've got a couple of kids. My kids are 13 and 17. They'll both be in high school, um, sharing the same high school next year as a freshman and a senior, and right now I'm really in a position where I'm probably just ready to step back uh, from corporate America again if something great doesn't come down the pipe and uh, focus on these last few years with uh, my kids and trying to get the most out of that. As possible before I'm an empty nester, and that's this is going to be coming down around, you know, uh, coming around the horn for you as well because your kids are pretty similar age to mine, mm-hmm. and um, you know I'm fortunate that I'm I'm uh, I'm financially secure. Um, my I, my kids have solid uh, 529 college investment plans set up yeah. for them. Um, I'm I'm I'm. Uh, Frugal and, and um, astute with my finances. I pay attention to my investments, and I don't necessarily have to have a job tomorrow or next month or next year. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm you know I'm fine. It might be a time right now to uh, to reevaluate and go. Hey, you know it would sure would be great to take the kids on a month long cruise in the Mediterranean through the Greek islands uh, next summer and that's not something I can do if I've got a nine to five corporate job that gives you two weeks of vacation. Right. Wow. Um, that sounds fun. so it's really timed for me. It may, I, I look at this and I'm like, and Matt, I'd be interested to see what how your perception on this, but you know, maybe this is a blessing in disguise. Maybe this is really just the universe telling me, you know what, you, you are really not ideally suited for another, uh, corporate 50 hour, uh, 50 week a year job. Cause I, you know, one of the things I've learned about traveling around the world and living in in different countries, and I've traveled to 20 different countries. I'm on my second passport. the 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 job market, the job world in the rest of the world is not like the United States. Uh, I have relatives in Europe. They get like a two month summer vacation every year. You know, Americans have come to realize that, or come to expect. You know, you get you get uh, 10 days of paid vacation with your job, and then maybe after you're there five or 10 years, you get three weeks or four weeks. That's insane. Americans work themselves to death with this mindset of, you know, you've got to be in, the, in a part of the, the, the corporate machine for 50 weeks out of the year. That's fucked up. That's not a healthy place to be um, a, as a working professional in the United States, and it's very rare on a global, from a global perspective. So I ask myself, do I want to get, do I want to get back in that fucking rat race again? I mean, is that what's really good for me? Or, you know, here I am, 57, I got a handful of years with my kids left before they go to, um, before they're off to college. Maybe I need to, you know, maybe no. it's time to really focus on that shit, right? And and get the most out of that. And, and when I'm 70, am I going to look back on the, you know, my late 50s and early 60s and go, wow, you know, I really wish I would have gone to a corporate office a lot more those last five years. Yes. I don't yes. think I'm going to fucking say that, you know? Yes, you will. <laughs> is this great no, it's you. like we're wa- we're watching the change
1: tony's be the change that you, we're watching him talk himself out of going back to a shitty job i love it keep going you're right there man you're right there dude what about you you mentioned you had a good free you're not you're not hurting for money it's probably always good when you're 57 to probably any extra dollar you get is better right like for whether you need it or not what you like you're you like being creative you like you like contributing. It seems like you have you definitely like uh, you like the idea that you were doing something, like it or not, whether you didn't like the corporate battle? What about getting back into the freelance stuff and picking projects that still gives you time to go to Greece, still get make a little money and still gives you some creative uh, like is that not
2: an option? Oh, it's totally an option. I mean i I've got three freelance projects uh, in front of me right now. I just did a couple of logos for a, a school system back in the Ozarks. Uh, you know, one of the cool things about my profession is I've flipped back and forth between what's called ad, well ad agency type work as an art director, or if you're in an in-house position, which means you just, you do, you work for a, a, one specific company versus, you know, when you're in an ad agency, you work for a variety of clients. But I've always been able to just pretty much switch on my freelance clientele uh, with a couple of emails at any time. So I've already done that. And, you know, I, I definitely still have some creative outlets. Um, you know, I've got an easel upstairs with uh, probably a half a dozen blank canvases. And I i ask myself, is it time to start painting again? It's something I've gone through phases in my career. Um, you know, it's really that's that, okay, it's that question, Matt, is what's going to make me happy? Um, is extra income nice? It's always nice. Yep. Um, yep. You know? to not have to worry about what the groceries cost or how many times you go out to eat a week with your kids. Mm -hmm. Um, and to not really have to focus on balancing your checkbook, you know, just knowing that, you know, you're, you're operating, um, uh, financially, uh, in the, in the black all the time and not have to worry about it. You know, I kind of love that. Um, I have to pay more. I focus more attention on my expenses when I'm not, you know, when I don't have a full time gig, obviously. But, that being said, you know I'm not in a position. Uh, you know I'm not losing my house next month. Um, I'm making my uh, car payments with without concern. Really, it's it's really just um, you know what's what's ideal, what's best, what what's gonna what's gonna um, you know bring me joy now. And and is it you know struggling to find another position and taking anything that I can get just for a paycheck? Eh, I don't think it's gonna be that. Um, I I think at this point in time, it's, it's, you know, it's time to reevaluate priorities with my, my family, my kids and, um, put their needs first instead of my own.
1: I was having a conversation with a couple of my friends last week, uh, about when we were young, these guys were telling me about stupid shit they did when they're in the US working at a ski resort. This guy was saying that he like just completely lost, rented a mountain bike in the middle of winter at a giant ski resort and just slid down the mountain and got his whole body jacked. And it made me think, uh, when I got out of University of Colorado, I was in kind of the same state as I was now. I was coming out of a relationship. I didn't really know what I wanted to do in my life, so I decided with some of my good buddies, the, uh, I was going to move up to the mountains and, and become a snowboard bum. And I was the same dude. Like I had no game with women. I was a piece of ass. Don't get me wrong, man. Like I was a good looking dude, skinny blue eyes were there, but I didn't know how to use it and to talk to women. My point is I was just kind of swimming around. All I knew is I didn't want to get in the workforce. And I had an older brother that moved up to Aspen, had a good time. So I went up there in the middle of the summer with not much money, and if you guys ever been in like a, a ski resort town, you know that by like September, October, everyone's like itching for snow, and everyone gets like just get a little like uh, cagey, and there's not shit to do. There's nobody there. There's like three women for every four hundred guys. It's basically like an old mining town without the brothels to re- to relieve yourself. So I'm up there, and it's like October. We've been up there for a few months. I was making like eight bucks an hour, like picking nails out of walls or some mess. It was like a construction job without any of the glory of being like an actual like carpenter or something. So I'm hanging out my house one day with my roommates. One of my roommates had gone to William and Mary back, back East. And one of his buddies from William and Mary pulls up to our house guy. I'd never met before. I don't remember his name goes, Hey, I'm, I'm going to go drive around the U.S. i S I'm going to drive around Canada for a few weeks. Does anybody want to come? And I went, fuck it. Let's go. So we jumped in the car. I had about a hundred bucks and, my, and a credit card. And uh, we started driving north. We were like, we, we, were, we went through all these national parks. It was fun with the Jackson Hole. I think we hit Rocky Mountain National Park. Then we went up to Grand Tetons, uh, Yellowstone. We, we stopped in Missoula, Montana. And I had another buddy in, in college that knew some people up there. I literally got on a pay phone. I called this guy back in Colorado. I go, What's your friend's names up here in Missoula? Called these guys and they're like, Who the fuck are you? And I was like, Dude, can we? So we crashed at their house. Long story short, we partied all night in Missoula, Montana. And uh, that is before I was leaving in the morning, one of the girls we were partying with made it a point to like find me and give me some buds to smoke. And I was so dumb at the time. I don't, if you guys have seen Dumb and Dumber, like the the where the bus for the Tropic or what is it the uh, I don't know Hawaiian Tropic girls pull up and they're just like, "Hey, dude, you want to you want to be our personal massage people?" And I was just like, "Thanks for the buds. Good luck with that." You know, like just completely oblivious that maybe this girl liked me or anything. But anyways, I got the weed, good weed, smoked it all day, went through Glacier National Park, looking at bears and all this crap, and just heading north. We're trying to get to Calgary by by uh, by the night. So we get up to the border and we're just having a great time, like two dudes that don't know each other shooting the shit in the middle of nowhere. And we get to the border and there's one of those Canadian Mounties who's this hard ass serious dude. He's in the middle of fucking nowhere and he never gets any action. And I, and apparently he was not going to lose the opportunity to be like a uh, freaking, I don't know, like take his job seriously. So he's coming out, he's looking at us and he's asking us normal, like border crossing questions. And he goes, all right. So first of all, so like, how do you guys know each other? and i think i was still baked and i looked at this dude and there was about ten seconds silence and then we busted out i've never laughed harder in my life because we had we just fucking thought about the story and just went we have no idea so we just think it's funny as shit and we're laughing and we tell the guy it's crazy man like just Two 21-year-old idiots. This guy just pulled up, dude. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to pull in the car. And the guy's just like, all right, like we might have a situation here, right? So he keeps asking his questions. Uh, and finally, he's like, do you have enough money to – like, how many days are you going to be here? Again, five seconds go by. Bust out laughing. We have no plan. We have no idea how long we're going to be in Canada. We have no idea. Dude's starting to get really pissed. And then we're kind of like, eh, maybe we should tone it down a little bit. But he's, every question just makes us laugh more. And then he goes, How much money do you have to get in the country? And I'm just like, I don't have enough money to stay in the US, let alone go to Canada and travel around. Like, so they want to know like per diem how many how much money you have to stay in the country. So I go, uh, I don't know. Probably got like a, a grand. If you can I'm I'm telling him just being straight, like an idiot. I got a I got a credit card and I got like a hundred bucks, and like we could probably could probably survive for like five or six days. And he's just like, that's not enough. We need to know that you're not just going to come up here and like freeload or whatever. So at the end, this guy goes, look, I can't let you in if I don't know how much money you have. Uh, You need to go find a way to prove it like a bank statement or something. And we're like, I don't know, three hours from Glacier National Park in the middle of Montana, right? On the the Montana-Canadian border. And I know this guy's done this before because I'm sure he's like back telling his buddies, "Look at these two fucking idiots from the U.S." So he goes, "There's like an ATM, maybe I don't know, four hours from here in a in a hotel or something like that. You can go back there, you can put in your card, you can get a statement, it shows me how much money you have." So we drive back, we we find the thing, we backtrack, waste all this money and gas. I don't have any money in my bank account, so I somehow find a way to get like a cash advance at I don't know what. 80, 80 points on the dollar for every cent that I. So I, but I find a way to get a statement on my credit card that had like a limit because I was 21 to like 1500 bucks or something. We go back, show it to him. He just makes us sit there, stressed for like 40 minutes. And, uh, and he's like, fine, you can go in. So we're way behind schedule. So now we're like driving through the middle of the night and we get to Calgary and we're like, we don't, we just, we can't really find everything's like closed and shit. So we decide what we really want to do is go up to the mountains like Lake Louise and Banff. So we just charge up there to the mountains. It'd be like driving from Denver up to Summit County or something like that, right? And we pull in three or four in the morning and we just pull into a parking lot. And there's like elk around and all sorts of weird shit, but we're like exhausted, tired. We pull in, We just, so we just recline our chairs back. About two hours later, fucking... We realize we're about three feet away from a, a train, a working train <laughs> that apparently needs to blow its blow its like its horns because there's an intersection right by. <laughs> so we wake up. I'm gonna make another movie reference. If you if you've seen Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, where uh, I think it's John Candy or Steve Martin like fall asleep driving. And they realize they're on the wrong side of the road and they wake up and there's like two semis flashing their lights at them. That's like exactly what happened. Like it was like loud train noise a foot from our car. And then the, the train goes by and uh, we do a long hike down to Lake Louise, beautiful place. And then we drive back through British Columbia to get down to Vancouver. And then uh, I somehow met up with a friend in Seattle who uh, had enough money to fly me home and, and, That's my story, man.
0: Seniors 94 is written and produced by Matt and Lance. Lance is a horrible person, and Matt is a piece of shit. Musical support for this week George's Sound, MRAP for Food, Audio Bits and Bites. Thank you for listening.